We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trevor says, thank you, Trevor, by the way, Brian and Ryan and all the lads at IED and IB Nation, thank you for all that you do. How excited are you about the potential of the offensive line? Can you each give me one guy you are excited about? Hashtag Lindsey Tough. This is a good one. Ryan, did you see the discussion we had on the board this weekend about the position groups and ranking the position yeah. groups and those type of yeah, things? And, and, and yep. there were two things about it. Number one, I was fired up because in past years, it was very easy to pick the bottom couple position groups. I mean, like going into 2019, it was like, yep, running back is not a strength of this football team. You know what I mean? Like there was years, safety is definitely not a strength of this football team. This year, it's like, who do I put last? I ended up putting tight ends last because of Mitchell Evans' injury because I need to see him get back, right? And then the other injury history at the position. But like somebody else, I think, had O-line last. And it's just kind of like, number one, it's exciting because there really are no quote-unquote weak position groups. But O-line is one of those ones that I had a hard time with because it is one of the few positions where I do think experience matters a lot more than quarterback and O-line to me. And I would say middle linebacker are probably the three positions. Let's go two on both sides of the ball. Quarterback, O-line, middle line, inside linebacker, safety are the two positions where experience adds even greater value than maybe in other positions because of the mental part of the game. And then for O-line, also the physical part of the game. And and so they're not going to have a ton of experience on this offensive line, but they're also going to be pretty good size and they're going to be pretty talented. How quickly can they come together? That's the giant question about this football team. So I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily excited about the O-line yet. But to his question, his question was, are you excited about the potential of the O-line? And I'm absolutely excited about the potential of the O-line if we have genuine position battles this offseason. I'm I'm absolutely encouraged by it. So it's got a chance to be very good, but I still have some, I would say, some cautious optimism about the line just because of how inexperienced it is. But the the bowl game was a good start because, like, we talked about Florida State getting that kid from Oregon State, right, who is a good football player. Well, 
he didn't do anything against this this the offensive line that he'll face right now. And this was their first start together. He didn't do anything. I mean, they they controlled oh, the was a lineman. Yeah. What's his oh, name? Yeah. Say, uh Sione's uh what's his name? His yeah. last name starts with the L. Polynesian, you know what I'm talking about. Dude. Kid yeah, we liked. He's a solid player. He's a good player for them, good right. edge rusher for them. He's a solid player. You know, but like we've seen him against this offensive line. He didn't do anything. Right. right. They shut him down and they controlled that action. So that was a great first step for me was watching that game because we've kind of poo-pooed that victory. Like you can't read too not poo-pooed it. It was a great victory. But like sure. let's not take too many big picture you know, views from this game, you know, but the one area where they were only really missing one guy was the D line. I mean, they had pretty much their D line intact for that game and Notre Dame won that battle. That's a good sign, but that's one game where you had a month to prepare. (laughs) How do this, how does a younger group prepare when you've only got four or five practices to go get ready to play, you know, Purdue, Florida state, Louisville, USC, those type of teams, that's going to be a bigger question mark. But there's a lot yeah. of talent there, Ryan. But man, I just yeah. I just have a little bit of nervousness just because of the lack of experience that this group has. Sure. Well, and Trevor, I, I think when you ask about excite excitedness about players specifically, I think we all as a collective always clamor towards the young guys that are gonna play a little bit, right? I mean, it's it's I think it's really every year like Tosh Baker, 60 year senior, excited for it. Like that does just doesn't typically happen, right? So it's it's Charles Jagasaw for me, or the artist formerly known as Charles Jagasaw because his pronunciation changes every other week, whatever, conversation for a different day. But Charles at left tackle, I think, is where my optimism starts because it's not often you lose a talent like Joe Ald at left tackle and you're just like, huh, you got a kid that might be just as talented. I mean, obviously not as seasoned, not as technical, not as nuanced, not as experienced, but from just from a pure raw talent perspective, I mean Charles Jagasaw is incredibly gifted. If you talk, if you flash forward two years from now and you're like Charles Jagasaw went top fifteen in the NFL draft, you'd be like, okay, I, I can I can see that type of projection for him. Like it, he's that talented, right? So he would be one. My dark horse, if I'm throwing out a dark horse, I'm excited to see what the offseason looks like for Sullivan Absher. I, I'm really interested to see how he fits in, whether they keep mid offensive tackle, whether they move him inside to compete for one of the guard spots, because I think like we, we know, well, we think that Charles Jagasaw is going to have a spot. We think that it's probably going to be Tosh Baker, most likely at right tackle, maybe Emil Wagner. If he has a great off season, we'll see. Right. And you're talking about the guards of the incumbents coming back of Billy Shrouth. And, and then you have obviously at center Ashton Craig and then Pat Coogan as kind of the incumbent, but I'm really curious to see if that left guard spot specifically is up for competition. And if they were like, hmm, Sullivan Absher just might be too good to not throw into that competition. You know, he might be too talented. So I'm interested to see him as a dark horse, but Charles Jagasaw, artist formerly known as Charles Jagasaw. Hopefully he runs with that, by the way. I think that's pretty good, um, pretty good branding. But otherwise, I think that he is has a chance to be an absolute star at left tackle. Hopefully yeah. in 2024 as well. Yeah. Or at least that we see the flashes of it, right? Like yeah. that that would that would like I don't expect him to be as good consistently as Joe Walt was as a sophomore. Oh they're no. they're coming from completely different backgrounds, you know. But right. uh but can he show the dominance where like, hey, when this kid when this kid figures it yeah. out, like, you know, he can be pretty good. And he can still be a he can still be a freshman all American because he's technically still a right. richer freshman. So although not for Notre Dame, because the way that they do it is which sucks. Notre Dame doesn't have redshirt freshmen. 
it's all by your class. So they won't nominate a sophomore red that we would view as a redshirt freshman for a freshman All-American squad. Doesn't that suck? Really? That never happened yeah. before? I feel like I've seen that now. Huh. Not for Notre Dame. Unless people start stop looking at Notre Dame that way. Because like I had this discussion with a guy last year when mm-hmm. I was talking to him about um, – I remember who it was. It was like Blake Fisher and somebody else. And like, they didn't consider them because they aren't listed as redshirt freshmen on the roster. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. John A1, did Kahanukia show pass rushing ability before he left for his mission? I mean, I would assume in practice – he never yep. like once rushed the passer in a game. So he he didn't play a whole ton that year. He only played like 11 snaps the whole season on defense. He played a lot of special teams that year. So if you go look yep. at Pro Football Focus, they don't have him listed as having any any pass a single pass rush all year. He all the stuff was against the run. They must have seen something from him in practice because they have him listed as a viper on the depth or an end on the depth on the depth chart, or I mean on the this winter roster. And they wanted him back. So clearly they saw what's, something from him. What's his weight on the roster? I didn't, 219, I mean, which I don't think that's an accurate. Yeah. I don't know that that's because that's what he was when he left. Maybe gotcha. it's accurate, but it could have just been, you know, who, who knows. But uh, they must have showed the coach. He must have showed the coaches something. But we haven't. We, he wasn't moved there until the season, and we don't get to see practices during the season. So we haven't seen that. He yeah. had some decent pass rush potential, like skills on film. In high school, he would come off the edge a, de- a little bit, but no, I, I have yeah. no idea what he's going to bring. No idea yeah. what he's going to bring. I think he's there more for the versatility than the pass rush upside, to be honest. It's kind of like Junior mm-hmm. Tua Lamaca. I don't yeah, think Junior Tua Lamaca is ever going to be a great pass rusher, but could be a versatile movement based, you know, Viper that can play in space a little bit, can set an edge. Like, hopefully, he's that type of kid. Aiden Banami said, Jadon Blair's dad seems to like Notre Dame a lot. I think we're the favorite. Any idea on his timetable? So Jadon has always been a before senior year 
guy. And I think he's also been a after official visits guy as well. So you can kind of think towards the end of summer, Iden would potentially be the timetable. Is Notre Dame the leader? I'm not sure if I would say that, but I also wouldn't really say like, I think Penn state's done a really good job with him. For instance, you know, he's looking at some of the, some of the like Carolina schools, but like overall, I'm not sure I would say a team is the perceived leader for Jay Dumpler. I would say there's kind of a top group, you know, the Penn state's Notre Dame's, you know, the Clemson's like those types of schools are, are kind of in the, in the ballpark for Jadon Blair right now. Does Notre Dame have a chance? Yes. I think Notre Dame has a very good chance at Jadon Blair. If they do take a third safety in the class, which I think they are obviously very interested in doing, because they think Jadon is that good of a football yeah. player. So Notre Dame will be in it until the end. Family likes Notre Dame a lot. You mentioned Jay, obviously his dad really likes Notre Dame. Jadon Blair, more, more importantly though, outside the family thing, is that Jadon also really likes Notre Dame. Every time yeah. he's been in Notre Dame, it's been big time. He saw Notre Dame multiple times last year, even on the road against some opponents that he was visiting. Mm -hmm. I think Notre Dame certainly has a very good chance at Jadon Blair in the end. I, I would say Notre Dame, Florida, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Florida State probably in that order would be, the the in my opinion, of the top three for him. And I think Notre Dame and Penn State probably, from what I'm told, are probably the top two teams yeah. right now. But – I yeah, it, you know he's gonna. His dad said that they're gonna get back for a, a either a spring, a spring or an official, maybe yep. a spring and an official, perhaps uh, moving yeah, forward. So yeah, yep. we'll see. Christopher Galloway, coach, can you explain the Viper position, which the which the depth and size that we have, and defensive end and defensive tackle? Why don't we go? On the defensive line, go big on the well, defensive. Go big line. on defensive. I oh, got it. Yep. Well, I mean, look, there's tons of ways to be successful. Number one, and and everybody's always clamoring for why don't you be like this team or why don't you be like that team? And you got to be who you are. And and if you can get the the skill set you want in a bigger package, sure, okay, go for it. But I don't think Notre Dame this past season, right? I mean. I don't know that I could watch a game and say, boy, they got beat that game because they didn't have the size to, right. to hold up at a position. In the past, we've seen that, right? I mean, we've seen in past years where they just were just too small. I'm not concerned about that with the current team because the issues in the past were not only were they were light, Ryan, but they lacked length as well. And that's a bad combination on the D-line. When you're light and not long, you know, mm -hmm. that that's that's a that's a bit of an issue in my opinion. But you know, when I, when I look at it, Ryan, when you talk about what what's can you explain the Viper position, it's a weak side end position, uh, boundary end. Um, I shouldn't say weak side. It's a boundary end position. I shouldn't say weak side because a lot of teams will put their tight end to the boundary. Uh, so that depending on how you call strength, if you call formation strength, you call tight end strength. There's a lot of different ways that people will do it. But essentially, it's a position that has to be versatile. You have to be stout enough to hold up against the run. It has certainly has important edge setting principles, whether that is and setting the edges can be one of two things. You can be a force player or spill player. A force player means you want to come higher on the outside shoulder of the guy you're taking on because you want to force the ball back inside. A spill player is you're going to come more narrow, eat up the inside cutback lane and force it to spill outside. And they'll do both with that. Normally with Notre Dame, they, they like to force with the Viper. But you've got to be stout against the run. You've got to be quick enough to get off the ball, take on pullers, blow up pullers with the proper the proper technique, meaning not technique like arm technique. That's always important. But technique from, a, okay, am I spilling? Am I forcing and thinking on that way? Because if you're supposed to force inside and you get caught low and they bounce it, 
you don't have help outside. If you're supposed to spill, but you get caught high and they cut up inside, you may not have inside help. So that's an important piece of it. You've got to be able to drop into coverage and, and play at the very least flats to hook curl. Got to at least be able to do that. You've got to have the ability to run with a running back in space. We see Notre Dame do that with their Vipers quite often. We saw even with Isaiah Foskey. And you've got to be able to rush the quarterback. For this, for this position to really be the, the strength that it needs to be, you've got to be – it's a very – multiple position you need it's a lot more diverse than the than the defensive end position the big end position uh that position is primarily run and and pass rush this is a run pass rush and coverage uh position i think in a perfect world they'd like to have a, a linebacker type that can also stack in sort of a three three look on in certain situations i think it's something that this staff would would like to be able to do at times, at least Marcus Freeman would like to be able to do at times. I don't know that we've seen as much of that from, from Al Golden, but that's kind of what you like. What what kind of size? I mean, if I could draw a, a perfect Viper in a lab, he would be about 6'4", about 255, 260 pounds with 34-plus inch arms and a great first step. Like that's what I would like to see. That's that's that would be a perfect in a lab type of guy. But you don't have to be that guy to be effective. You can be shorter if you have length. You can be longer. You can be lighter as long as you can play with power. But that would be the ideal thing. And, and as far as the other thing too is, it it's hard. Look, there's a reason that that Notre Dame and and even Ohio State to agree to a degree have a little bit undersized defensive lines when you compare to Georgia and Alabama. And that's because there just aren't as many kids like that in the North that are, that are big time football players, you know, and you've got to develop it to a degree, you know, Michigan's been able to figure out a way to do it. You know, they got Kenneth Grant from Indiana, but then they got Mason Graham from Ayers from California. But I just think that's the style of play that Michigan wants. Their inside guys have to be big physical run stuffers. That's not the defense learning plays. So it just, it has to fit what you're doing. That's going to be the big key, but it's a good, good question. Good question. And this is actually a, a similar question. Uh, John A1 says, why does the staff like MLB body types of the Viper position? I, I don't, again, I don't think that's accurate. I think that there are certain players that fit that mold, but like Josh Burnham is not a, he, he's got as much Viper body type as he does middle linebacker. I mean, he's 6'4", with really long arms and a frame to be 250, 260. That, that's Viper frame. He just ran like a linebacker and obviously could play linebacker, but I don't think it's I, – I wouldn't say that they looked at him as a middle linebacker type. I don't believe that they would recruit Junior Two Alamaka today to play that position. I think it's just kind of like they liked him a linebacker and that was where the need was. There was a greater need there. Dominic Ulak, for example, is not, uh, is not being recruited to play Viper. He's being recruited to play a bit of a hybrid position. So I – I don't. I think the premise of, is a little bit off. Just because that's what they've done so far, doesn't mean that's what they like. What they like is a six-four, long, Damian Shanklin type, Bubakar Traore type of player. That's Logan Thomas type of player. That's the guys they're recruiting to play Viper. Again, Dominic Ulak not being recruited to play Viper. Viper is a part of the bigger money position that they have which has to do a lot of different things. But the pure Viper, if you look at what Notre Dame has recruited since Marcus Freeman has got here, the guys they've recruited to play Viper are 6'4-ish, long arm, 
twitchy edge players. Just because Batelho and Junior and Burnham have done that so far, that was more of a byproduct of who they had and what the needs were. Like I would say this, Ryan, they're, they're, I think Junior Tillamaka and or Josh Burnham would have gotten a longer look, especially Junior, would have gotten a longer look at Mike Linebacker if the Viper depth chart wasn't so awful after Isaiah Foskey. Like you yeah. had Jordan Patelho, who wasn't even playing the position prior to 2020. I mean, he played Rover in 2021. Who else was going to play Viper? You had to move guys there. You you had to. And so I think that's a big reason why Junior moved is because who else was going to play that position? You right. know, and, and, and same thing. And Josh Burnham's a little bit different because Josh is built more like what they want at a Viper. Even though he was a linebacker in high school, he's 6'4", long arms, kind of twitchy. He has more of that skill set. He fits more physically the Logan Thomas types, the Bubakar types, than does Junior or Batelho. Those were necessity moves, in my opinion, yeah. that I don't know that they would have made as early as they did had the depth chart not just been so bad at Viper behind Isaiah Foskey. That, that's my overall thoughts on it, Ryan. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think that they're the I don't think that they're the prototype, but I would say also this, John, is that. Viper can function a couple different ways, potentially, right? Like there are the true Viper types that they're recruiting that are true edges, true guys that you're going to try to get pass rush upside, to play on the edge a ton, you know, work the point of attack. But then there are some roles at times for a Viper that is more of a versatile player that can drop into coverage, that can work, you know, a little bit more outside, almost like a three, four outside linebacker alignment at times, depending on certain looks like, versatility is a big plus there in a certain situation, but I would agree with Brian that like, ideally you would like to be longer and bigger at that spot than just a true Mike body type, right? Like it's, it's pretty practical. You know, you want a certain skill set as a coach, but ultimately you would love that skill set to be in a bigger body because football right. is still a big man's game at the end of the day. Like you would still like that, but there are needs of necessity. Obviously that happens. So Ryan, what one of the questions that was asked as you were leaving and I was done with yep. it before you came back and it was, yep. it was kind of a prequel to this one was about, you know, can you explain the Viper? And, right, and my it, point yeah. was yeah. my answer was essentially the difference between like Viper and the edge is obviously got to be a, you've got to be good at setting the edge, whether that's force or spill You've got to be good at pass rush. But the big difference between those two positions, besides just one's boundary, one is field, is there's a lot more versatility desired from the Viper. Can you drop – the very least, they want a Viper that can drop flats and then hook to curl. At the very least, yeah. they want that. Clark Lee did that as well. I mean, space. remember one yeah. of the biggest plays of the 2018 game against Michigan was Julian Aquara undercutting an outcut and picking it off along the sideline, right? Yeah. Like, so even Clark Lee did some of that stuff. So – uh, but but if I could draw up that player in a lab, he's at least 6'4", he's got at least 34-inch arms, and he's probably got a 250 to 260 frame and a great first step. Like So it's it's that's what they want is that kind of guy that can also yeah. drop into coverage. That's why they like Bubakar. That's why they like Logan Thomas as much as they do because you're talking about a kid with you know potentially having 4 or 5 speed at 6'4 with super long arms, right? that eventually will grow into that kind of player. Damian Shanklin can be that kind of guy, although he's more of a bit of a – he's got a little bit more of a power uh, profile to him than like Logan Thomas does, so there's some different types. Sure. But they are going to say, hey, look, like w- you and I sat there and watched it against Syracuse, like sitting side, side by side right in front of us, Isaiah Foskey opening up and running on wheel routes with Sean Tucker, 
right? Like yep. there is even a guy like Foskey, there's something to that. Now they're not going to drop that guy and, and say, Hey, go get over top. We're going to go three man. And we want you to, to, to jam and, and reroute and then open up and run with Brock Bowers up the seam. They're, they're, they're not going to do that with no help. They're not going to do that, but there needs to be a bit of that to the table and, and to your point, but yep. that doesn't mean that they want a six two, two hundred fifty 250 pound guy at that position. That's not the desire. Right, because right. if they wanted Dominic Hulak to be a Viper, they just would be recruiting him at Viper. But they're not; they're recruiting him for a hybrid position. The guy they're yep. recruiting as a full-time Viper is between listed between six four and six five, and he's about two hundred and thirty pounds, and he's an edge player in Damian Shanklin. And so that's yep. the desired uh, position. But they're smart enough to say, "Hey, look, we don't have that guy right now," and so Junior can help us there, Burnham can help yep. us there, Gatello can help us there, and let's get those guys over there until. The guys we've recruited are ready to play yeah. that position. Plus, your linebacker depth chart is pretty healthy as well, so you can afford yeah. to make those yeah. distinctions and switches. Absolutely, absolutely. Patrick Fitzgerald, question: Are there any general changes you're looking at Marcus Freeman to make in terms of his in-game coaching for the upcoming season? Not, not so much from the head coach type of in-game decision making, Ryan. I mean, look. I don't know that I know enough about Marcus Freeman's in-game decision-making to say this is who he is and this is what I would change. I mean, there there have been decisions that I have not agreed with, but I think overall he shows a healthy willingness to, you know, utilize fourth down analytics but not obsess over them, right? Yeah. I think that's that's something we've seen where it's like, okay, they're going for it on fourth down here. That That's good but not in one of those like, okay, it's okay to kind of take the field goal here type of type of situation, right? So I think there's that healthy balance and sort of his his fourth down decision making, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Notre Dame this past season, I, I mean, they didn't they didn't attempt a lot of fourth downs. They 110, the teams that led the country this year were in the 40s. I don't ever want to see Notre Dame in the 40s and fourth down attempts. You know what I mean? Like, because that means you're you're not overly efficient and you're getting yourself into more fourth downs than I'd want you to be in. But you know, I mean, look, there were some times he attempted field goals that I don't think he should have attempted, but you have a kid with an incredible leg. Okay, let's get points. And so, I mean, it, it's some nitpicks here and there, but I don't know that that there's been enough consistency from year one to year two for me to say this is who Marcus Freeman is with this in type of in-game decision-making process. Plus, they blew so many people out this year, Ryan, that it's like we didn't really get a chance to see him make those type mm -hmm. of decisions. And so, you know, and, and then once you kind of get into games, more of the issues are more about, gee, I didn't like that play call. I didn't like this coverage right. call or whatever. Those aren't necessarily coaching in-game decisions. It's more of we're going for it on fourth down here or not. You know, right. like you could question some of the fourth down decisions against Ohio State, but I actually liked those. I it showed you, me, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because yeah, it's, it's hindsight, Ryan. Look, hindsight 2020, if you kick that first field goal – you know, okay, sure, but what if you convert a fourth and one and you go down and score and take yeah. a seven nothing lead, right? Like, I don't like doing the hindsight twenty twenty. If you didn't like it at the time, then you can criticize it afterwards. I liked it at the time. Yeah. I, you had a good I, drive I still, going. I still would have. I still would have went for it. I still would have went right. for it. You so, had yeah, a good drive back, going. It was a fourth and one. Yeah. You were getting yeah. good movement. Okay, it yeah. didn't work out. You got to make. You got to execute. Now you could say, "Hey, I didn't necessarily love that call," or the quarterback's got to make yeah. a better you know, effort to get the sticks. That's my bigger criticism right there is the quarterback's got to have more field awareness and be willing to kind of say, I'm going to lower my shoulder and get this first down. Cut you know, so there's always, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's always some fourth, but that's true for everybody. There's always some fourth. I mean, people are, 
up in arms about Dan Campbell not taking field goals yesterday. And I might get it, but like that's who he is, right? I mean, we have yeah. evidence of that's who he is. It's you can debate whether it's right or wrong. My point is, I think that you have to be who you are. And in Marcus Freeman's case, what I like about him is he is willing to go for a fourth down, even in big games, but he's not so in love with analytics that he's going to be making those type of decisions, in my opinion. Right. I think right. so. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Like if if Notre Dame it was down 17-14 in the middle of the third quarter to Ohio State, would they have gone for it on fourth and one in that situation? Based on what we've seen from Marcus Freeman, probably not. Probably ties the game up. Probably takes the points to ties the game up. But drive one. So th- those are the things I would see, Ryan. More, more of my issues with Marcus Freeman are going to still come down to the culture. You know what I mean? Like, can he get this team ready to play at a certain level? From a from a focus standpoint, a passion standpoint, and a technical standpoint, with more consistency from what we've seen, and can he get his teams a little bit more ready in some of the big games? Because like that's the weird thing we saw in 2022. The knock was his teams were physically and emotionally ready to play in the big games. I thought they were physically and emotionally ready to play against Ohio State. They were physically and emotionally ready to play against North Carolina, which was a big game for a lot of different reasons. They were that way against Clemson. They were that way against USC. Now, they didn't win all those games, but you never looked at like they didn't want to be here today. They right. they were that way against like UNLV on offense, you know, and 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 Stanford and, and Marshall to a degree and Cal. It's like, guys – like they were more than fired up, ready to play BYU in Las Vegas, right? This year's yeah. kind of the opposite. You know, they just steamrolled those lesser teams, but then a couple of those big games, you're like, do you guys even want to be here today? So it, it, it's it's weird. Like it was two different teams, right? So I don't know which one is Marcus Freeman. Lou, you, you know, was really bad. Yeah, Duke was that way. Clemson was yeah. that way. I mean, where you just weren't emotionally ready to play that game. It was the opposite yeah. story in 2022. So. We're going to find out in year three. And I got an article out today, Ryan, and I, you probably haven't a chance to read it yet because I published it like kind of a little bit bef- before we started the show. But the premise was this is year three under Marcus Freeman. And we'll probably talk about that a little bit during the week. We're going to learn more about who he is in these situations that Patrick's answering this year than we have the last two years for a couple reasons. Number one is he's evolving and learning who he is as a coach and what he actually likes in situations. And number two, is your third-year team, and part of the reason year three is so important, is because year three is going to have much more of your DNA throughout the team than years one and year two. And that's going to be a big part of it. I think we'll we'll have a much better idea of who he is in, in this type of in-game stuff now than I think we did in the first two years, in my opinion, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the stuff that you criticize head coaches for in the, in the game is always usage of timeouts, Clock management, obviously, associated with the uses of timeouts. It's your aggressiveness to go forward and fourth down and, you know, four down territory. And I think it's just an approach, per, per, you know, in certain moments of the game as far as being aggressive or being passive. I haven't had too many concerns. Like, the only thing I would say is that maybe there's a slightly passive approach to, you know, end of game half type situations at right. points. I mean, like, like the end of the Duke game, for instance, where you're where you you hear the clip back where he's just like, oh, you know, set up for a time uh, a field goal. Where you're just like, dude, yep. no, <laughs> that's that's yeah. not what I want us to be yeah. doing right now. Right. And uh, so maybe maybe especially a little bit more at of an that time of the season when right. Spencer Schrader was struggling, Ryan. Like that's the other right. thing too. Is like a month later, maybe our opinion changes of that because you have a pretty good. Right. But but even but even still, like I, I'm I'm with you. And there's been a couple times I've been like, yeah, from a from a time management standpoint, there's like, uh, you know, going yeah. forward on fourth down. 
when you were down, what was it, 21-10 with nine minutes left against Louisville? Like, that, that wasn't a smart decision. But you could at least understand why he did it. Right. And that's the big thing for me is, is if I'm going to disagree with your decision, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that's just a stupid decision. And another one is I don't mind the decision. I mean, I don't like the decision, but I get it. Like Brian Kelly going for two against Northwestern when you just scored to go up 11 was a stupid decision. There's no justifying going for two there. None, in my opinion. You know, Brian Kelly going for two if they were only up, I don't know, nine or ten. I mean, okay, I wouldn't have done it there, but I get it, right? Like, so there's sometimes where the decision is just so dumb that you're just like, like the decision against Tulsa in 2010. You're in field goal range. You have the most accurate kicker in football that year, and you're in easy range for him for David Ruffer. You've got a true freshman quarterback who came in the game late second quarter to replace your injured starter. He doesn't have a very strong arm, and you want to roll out, throw a deep ball into the end zone with him. That's a stupid decision that there's no justifying that one. You know what I mean? Other times you're like, you know what? I wouldn't have made that call there, but I get it. Like For all the criticism for Jared Parker had on the last drive, it's kind of like if he hits that screen, the game's over. right? Like yeah. It required the kid from Ohio State to make a good play. However, even though like I, I get the call, I don't like it, but I got it. That's yeah. a different conversation than what the freaking heck are you doing throwing the ball here when if you run it, the game's over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are different. I mean, I, it's it's just every dis, you're going to do things, guys, you disagree with, Ryan. It's just can you at yeah. least understand why? That's where right. I try to be is as when I evaluate those type of decisions. I didn't even hate I didn't even hate the screen up uh, pass that Parker threw on that last drive. I disliked the taking Audrey Estime out yeah. of the game after he had just yep. run for a first down and was bludgeoning <laughs> bludgeoning the OIC defense. That that was my yeah. that was my criticism yep. on that final drive. <laughs> yeah. And you were just really starting to lean on them too, man. Like your O line was leaning on them, you know. And, and the other thing too is it's also it was also what was bad about it. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. It was also it showed me poor, poor scouting of your opponent. Because the yeah. one thing about the kid that made those plays in the last drive—that's what he's done the last two years. He is a like he may not play well in this game against Maryland or that game against Indiana, but he tends to JT tends to play very well in big games. But he's been a very clutch, key situation player. And yeah. and you to me, you got to account for him when you're going to run the football. In that situation, he's not the end that you leave unblocked and try to kick out with Pat Coogan. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like that, that was just poor opponent awareness in that situation that you could sure. criticize again, but that's an OC criticism, not a head coaching criticism. Right. You know, I mean, yep. run your offense. So I'll, I'll, I think we'll have a much better idea of, of who he is. This, because I, I mean, do you feel like you know who Marcus Freeman is? Like, do you know exactly, you know, no, what goes into his head for fourth quarter decisions and things like that? And, you know, like I think the overall passiveness on offense in big games is something that I've criticized, but that's not an in-game decision. That's a you prepared that way during the right. week. That's a, a bigger concern than I have than than some of his in-game stuff. Boy, Brian, we're getting some really good questions today, man. Sparking some really good conversation. I'm 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 enjoying this one so far. There was a fun one down here, Ryan, that I just thought was was great. 
Uh, I, I want to read this one from Salty. He says the Irish got caught. The Irish caught a lot of heat for having ten men on the field for the last two plays of the Ohio State game. When Kingston Viliama Oss is on the field, will Notre Dame have to play ten just to make it fair? <laughs> so it's a good player, man. Jaden Greathouse yeah. is his guy on offense, and we now know who Salty's guy is on defense. It is Kingston. It's a good pick. It's a good pick to have. Yes. Got another one that I want to read, Ryan, because this is uh, for you. Says uh, Salty also asks, Ryan, how does participation in the Senior Bowl or East-West Shrine Bowl benefit or hurt players' NFL prospects? In-game performance is obvious, but is there more? Well, Salty, for the all-star process, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, one, no one cares about the game, right? Like, Let's get that out of the way. No one cares about what you do in the Senior Bowl on Saturday. No one cares about what you did on the Shrine Bowl during the actual football game. They care about getting you in practice and isolating you against some of the other top players in the country and seeing how you perform. And, you know, and the one-on-ones specifically are a big thing that scouts are going to watch because they want to see I – mean, you can't hide in that situation, right? How – what does your body look like? How long are you? What do you look like coming off the football? What are What is your pass rush plan and your process? What is your – as a route runner, what is your ability to find the blind spots and coverage and be able to get sync and get out of your breaks quickly? You're in a lot of one-on-one situations in bowl week in the all-star games, and they want to see you isolate. They want to isolate your traits and see how you stack up against other uh, some of your better peers in the class. So that's the big part. The other big part is the ability to sit down with these coaches and these players that are going to be there. Uh, or Sorry, these coaches and the scouts that are going to be on sites. Because sitting down with these scouts – they're going to ask you, and it's a little bit limited compared to what the, the combine gives you a little bit more of a window to be able to talk to these players, but you're going to get the availability to ask them a lot of hard questions, right? To get to know them personally. And that's the, the part that's lost in just watching the game film, right? Like I can watch a film of a player a million times and have an opinion of them. And even you can even have preconceived notions about them as a person. Like I could watch a defensive end, for instance, that plays with great motor. And you kind of have a perception of like, man, I bet you, when he's not on the field, he's just this super locked in, laser focused dude that is relentless. Like you can just guess a personality. But then you meet him in person, you're just like, hmm, maybe a couple of red flags there, right? So you can get some personal perspective on players. You can obviously get the the background perspective, whether it's you know an arrest in the past, whether it's medical stuff, whether it's how he dealt with coaching changes. There's a lot from a personal perspective that you can gain. But more than anything, your scouts are really watching to isolate them in practice against some of their peers because that's usually when the cream does rise to crop in this type of situations. You're also getting verified measurables as well. I think literally the senior bowl is posting them uh, probably as we speak as of right now as far as what some guys are measuring in as. as so it's a, it's a checklist, man. There's a big resume building process right now happening. Ryan, I have been told this in the past, and I don't know if I've asked you this before on the show. I think I may have, but I've been told in the past that there are some scouts and decision makers that will leave before the games. Oh, yeah. Bar- barely and, anybody I mean, stays like, for the game. Right. Barely anybody. It's, it's the yeah. week of practice. It's the interviews. It's that stuff that matters. It's, now, it's the fans. The fans stay would, for the game, and people watch on TV, but the scouts and the people no, that are there covering it from an evaluation perspective, they don't, they don't care about the game at all. Let me, let me ask you this question, and, and I don't know yep. the answer to this question. Obviously, a good game can cement a good week, right? But if a guy has a – meaning, like, if a guy has a great week and then plays great in a mm-hmm. game, it just – okay, that, that – like, you know I mean, it, it cements it. He just – he had a great week, right? Can can a performance in a game like this change your opinion on the week? I, I don't know the answer. Like, no. if you have a no. – if you don't have a very good week and you dominate the, the, the game or if you have a, a great week and then 
know, like let's say you're a receiver and you have a great week and then you drop three balls in the game. That has no yeah. bearing whatsoever. Not not to me. And I've never personally talked to a scout that was like, man, really good pretty good practice, but like the game sucked, man. Like you just not get like no one talks about the Is game. Is that because they already they already have game film? Like, hey guy, you know, like guy dropped they, two they balls have, in, the, in the senior bowl, yeah. but he never dropped a pass as a senior. I don't, don't care as much about it. Is that they is they, that they it? already have the game film on that outside of things? They have the practice film, which is the most important part. And I mean, you're taught as an evaluator, like one game does not make an evaluation at the end sure. of the day anyway. Sure. Right. So yeah, yeah, I just have personally never heard anybody be like, man, he played really poorly in that East West shrine bowl that day. Like <laughs> yeah, never, I, never I, I truly didn't know. I just was curious. Like I know they yeah. leave before the game, but I didn't know if it was yeah, like, cause do. they don't care about the game I, or I don't you know even I mean? think like, cause cause like they make, they make the like sh- senior bowl film available, the actual game afterwards. I have personally, I'll say this. I've never broken down all 22 of the senior bowl. As far as like the actual game practice, I know you break down like every rep in practice. Yeah. I've, I've, oh, yeah, had all the one on ones, all the inside run, like that type of stuff. Like, yes, absolutely. Every rep from practice, pretty much. But like the game, I've never broken down the all 22 of the actual senior bowl, never done that. And I've never talked to a scout that does either. Like, I've never, because, because who wins the MVPs every year? It's like, it's usually like Isaiah Pede and like dudes like that where you're just like, all right, man. Sure. Let's go with Isaiah Pete as the MVP. I for sure Desmond Ritter won it two years ago. It's just like, yeah. all right. Herbert like, did win it though, like, right? His year, didn't he? Herbert didn't did. he win I it? Mean, there, yeah, there's always some good ones. But that that's not why he was drafted like, in the top 10, right? I mean, it right, wasn't exactly, like, oh, yeah. senior bowl MVP. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. All right. Let's get to some more here, Ryan. We have some some more great questions from the from the audience. Johnny one says, has short yardage run game efficiency changed the value of shorter interior defensive linemen or the more in demand in situational football? I'll let you kind of answer that one, Ryan, because I, I just think it's, 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 I, I me, think it's a leverage it thing in general. Yeah. It's a leverage thing in general. I, I would say this, John size, like, yes, I think that overall, like just good size is definitely something that you want to defend against, you know, the, efficiency of the run game especially the short yardage because you want guys that are able to maintain their leverage in short spaces you don't want guys that can get displaced out of gaps obviously and be able to get moved off the line of scrimmage off of their spot but i don't think it's necessarily a a height thing right like i don't think it's a short versus tall thing because we've talked about it before but like there's some really tall defensive linemen that play with great leverage like i care more about consistent leverage and size if i'm talking about stopping the run personally on defense so, John, I think the the I think it's more of a the skill set that's looked for in those situations tends to be more about quickness and the ability to penetrate, and it just so happens that in certain instances it's a shorter, smaller player that's that way. That shortness comes with the smallness more so than they want to recruit the next Howard Cross. Notre Dame would like to recruit the next Howard Cross from a quickness, length leverage motor technique standpoint in a 6'4 295 pound package that's what they would yeah, they prefer want, they want it to look like jason own yeah <laughs> right right yeah they yeah. love the motor they love the skills and all that but it's not like hey let's go find the next six foot 275 pound guy that, that's right. that's not what they're looking for it i think it just so happens that okay we want a penetrator we want a guy that's quick we want a guy that can block destruct we want a guy that can get in the backfield blah 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 blah, blah and that just tends to be the 6'2", 285 guy over the 6'5", 330 guy in situational football. Uh, so I would say it's more that than a desire to find the 6'2", 280-pound guy. That that would be my my takeaway on that one. 
Next question was another one from John. It says, with the loss of Chris Tyree and Tobias Merriweather, which players best serve as field stretchers? Well, I think of players that have been added to this roster, Brian, I would say two guys that are newcomers that can could potentially provide instant field stretching ability outside of what's, I mean, like, I guess you, you'll throw like Jordan face on in there, right? Like some pre-existing sure. guys, but of the guys that are coming in, I would say Chris Mitchell, the transfer from Florida international and Cam Williams are probably the two guys I look at and say, those are probably outside field stretchers yeah. potentially if they're able to make an impact in 2024, which expect at least one of them to be able to. So I've been told Jaden Harrison's a, a four, three guy. Yeah. And, and so obviously there's some speed elements to him. You see it in the return game, but with him, it, we, we just haven't seen it at receiver a ton. At least we yeah. didn't this year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been more evident in the re, in the return game for him than it has in the past. I mean, as a junior in 2022, he only averaged 7.9 yards per catch. He averaged 11.2 in 2021. And so in this past year was his best at 14.6. Can he bring that yeah. on offense? I don't know. I think Deion Colsey brings the ability to stretch the field in a different type. Not so much that he's a burner 4-3 guy, but he is fast for his size. And he's so yep. long that he can get kind of over the top where even if you're on him, he can still be open if you have a quarterback that knows how to throw the ball up and, and to go get it. So so Dion, if healthy, would be another guy that would bring a little bit of that element to the table as well, in my opinion. And, and as far as just stretching the field from a vertical standpoint, there are some other guys like Jaden Greathouse to me is a guy that can has the potential to be a field stretcher on more of a horizontal standpoint with his route running and size and then the speed that he does possess uh, mm-hmm. those, those you know th- those are guys that can can like that could be impactful but as, if we're talking ver- vertical stretch which is what i perceive the question to be i think you nailed it chris mitchell cam williams jordan Faison to a degree although jordan Faison's more quick than he is fast he just gets downhill in a hurry but we saw it against against uh was a pit on the touchdown pass that Jaden greathouse caught on the deep over that play worked because yep. Jordan Jaden, Jordan Faison was able to take the top off the defense with his post route, backside post route. If you get yep. into that post route slower, then the timing's off and and, and the safety sees Jaden Greathouse and he closes on it. I mean, that's right. that's the you know, he'll come down the safety the corner will stay over top. But because he ate up that secondary coverage, I mean, because that's another big part of stretching the field. Sometimes stretching the field isn't you're not even getting the ball. It's can you take the top off of the coverage that then opens up those other opportunities? So you get a 40 yard touch, and that's the kind of stuff where I think Jaden Greathouse can be a big play guy. Is that type of stuff? He's not going to be a guy that just goes out there and runs a bunch of goes and posts the way that Tobias Merriweather, or maybe a Chris Tyree did, where he just runs by people. It, there, there's different types of way, and that just leads into the I just like the diversity of this receiving core so much better than last year's group, Ryan. I, I really do. And I think they also have some guys that can stretch the field at tight end and running back this year that they didn't necessarily have this year. Like Mitchell Evans is not a stretch the field tight end, more so than Michael Mayer, but he's not going to, you know, where Eli Reardon I think can be when he's healthy. Like, and then of course, I'd, I can't wait to see. I, I, well, I shouldn't, I say can't. I really hope that they find some ways to use George, uh, Jeremiah Love as that type of player as well, Ryan, to create some big plays yeah. in the pass game. Really would. We had a question from Buddy Gabrick. Thank you so much. Who would be your four-man class if you guys were the head coach of this with the current board? Twenty twenty-five wide receivers. So if I could put together the perfect four-man class, 
there's how realistic there's, does it have to be? I guess would be. Let, my let's first let's question. do realistic. It's it's guys that Notre Dame has a legitimate shot at. So like my 2024 receiver class is not Jeremiah Smith, Michael Hudson, Cam Williams, and Cam Coleman, right? I mean, right. like a, a, a realistic. I, I, class. I was I was more curious about the eight guys that they've been offering over the last couple of weeks because like yeah. it's kind of hard to tell how realistic some yeah. of them are at the moment. You know. So let's say Ryan, if a kid has been offered and there has been some level of interest shown. Meaning that guy, yep. if you stay on him, you could win him in the end. So if you sure. wanted to include Michael Terry or like Cyrus, for example, Nas Newkirk, you can yep. include them. We're sure. not going to include like Jamie French right now Correct. because in, unless he gets back on campus for another visit, like Notre Dame, I mean, I don't view them as a player for them. Is that fair? That's so I have fair. I have a a Notre Dame fan four and then a. Mm-hmm. Analyst four, and I give my analyst four first. It's Taylor Taylor, it's Dalen McCutcheon, it's Quincy Porter, and it's Elijah Burris would be mine, would be my four. If you were to take Lex Cyrus and replace him with one of those, I would be fine with that. But that would be my four. Uh, If now, if you were to say replace Derek Meadows for Quincy Porter, I'd be fine with that too. Derek Meadows has loads of talent. I just, I've expressed my concerns about him when comparing the two, but I'd be fine with Derek Meadows as part of that four as well. My Notre Dame fan four would be Jerome Bettis Jr. Cause I just want to have Jerome Bettis's kid here. And I really hope, 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 hope that the DNA kicks in at some point in time and he blossoms. That would be kind of my hope because that'd be pretty awesome. And then it would be three of the other four that I talked about. But the one that to me is if I'm really talking about building a game changing receiving class, I think it has to have two of a trio of Taylor Taylor, Dalen McCutcheon and Lex Cyrus. It has to have two of those three in it because yeah. those to me guys right now, for different reasons that truly are game changers. like Elijah Burst, right? You know, I'm very high on him, but he's still a little bit of a projectable guy. And I don't know yeah. that I'd call him a game. He's more he to me. He's more, um, you know, route runner, get open, right? He's like that kind of guy that's just like he's more Cooper Cup, not not similar skill set, but like he's more impact the game like Cooper Cup. It's the first name to pop in my head. Whereas, you know, some other kid is is more Percy Harvin or Will Fuller. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's more of that. So I I think McCutcheon. Taylor Taylor and Cyrus to truly have a needle moving game changing. Holy crap. Notre Dame is not playing around. I think you need two of those three guys. What would your yeah. four be? My, my, my ideal four would be Taylor Taylor. It would be Derek Meadows with some realism attached. Those two. I would love Dalen McCutcheon and I would like Lex Cyrus would be my ideal four because I think that all four of those bring very unique skill sets to the table that are different. Mm-hmm. Derek Meadows has to be six, six at this point. He has to oh, be After gosh, watching yeah. a few of the clips. He has to be yeah. six, six. You just don't have a ton of guys that look like That's him fast. Like he's yeah. I mean, he's legit four five flat fast at six foot six. That kid is a freak show talents athletically. So that kid combined with Talon, who's a little bit more of the, explosive but also route running upside can can work outside the numbers could work in the slot at times he's kind of your multi-level threats as far as a field wide receiver and then Dalen McCutcheon I kind of feel similar ish but like I like him a whole lot in the slot as a guy that can really manipulate space 
And then Lex Cyrus is just for the speed. I mean, like he can manipulate space. He can do things after the catch. But that kid is a legitimate. I mean, he runs 10, 400 meter. That kid's probably a four, three something athlete. Like he can fly. So that would be ideal. But I mean, honestly, like you have a good shot with, with Tylen Taylor. You have a good, really good shot with Derek Meadows. You also have, will have a shot with Dalen McCutcheon if you push for Dalen McCutcheon. Right. And I think that, I mean, we'll see, but like, like Cyrus has said some good things about Notre Dame early. I mean, we'll see if they can get him yeah. on a visit, but like, that's not unrealistic. I don't think at this he point, he so, would be like, the most unrealistic of the ones we've mentioned. So yeah. But as you yeah. said, Ron, he has expressed some early interest in, a, in, a, in, in Notre Dame in my yep. view. So yeah, I get it. I get it. We'll That'd be a, goes. either one of those. I'd be very, very happy with. Yeah. Very yeah, happy. like I would love, I would love Michael Terry. I just, I, I like, I think that le- get, getting a guy like a Lex Cyrus to potentially look at Notre Dame, who's a Pennsylvania kid, comparative to Michael Terry, where he is, yeah. and that recruit. I mean, like, because I, I think he's about to take a visit to like Oregon, and like, yes. I, I just would need to see that kid take a visit to Notre Dame before I consider yeah. him even slightly realistic. So, Agree. We'll Agree very much with that. Seek and destroy. Hannah Hildago is the best freshman to ever play at Notre Dame women's basketball. That is a very good question. Uh, I mean, certainly the best scorer. The, the, there's no doubt about that. I mean, she, she her ability to. I mean, she it's just like set 20 the freshman of a game, right? Is yeah, I mean, like well yeah. into the twenties, and yeah. and um, you know, she she's shown the ability to score in big moments. I mean, she scored, she just dropped 34 on UConn and, and this isn't like a vintage UConn team, Ryan, but like, it's a pair, yeah. it's still a top 10 UConn team. Sure. So, you know, I, I mean, she's, she's outstanding. And the thing is too, is she's also not someone who just, she's not just a scorer. I mean, right. she had 11 rebounds the other night too, and she's not very big. She's not very, she's kind of short, you know what I mean? And so, but she's a good rebounder. She's already had a triple double this season. I think she ranks like, pretty high in the nation and from what i from what i've read in steals i mean like she, the, she went to paul the sixth i, I, yeah. I literally coached track yeah. at paul the sixth here in new jersey i had no idea so she like, went to paul the she sixth. didn't have any steals against uconn but in the in the in the game three three six seven four four three seven five seven six four so like they played at tennessee uh earlier in the year and she had 13 points seven rebounds seven assists and four points she only shot five of 17 from the field, but she impacted yeah. that game in a big way because she's not just a scorer. I- against UConn, 34 points, 10 rebounds, six assists. Like yeah. that's someone who's impacting the game in a, in a beyond just the scoring aspect of it. Now, at the same time, Skylar Diggins didn't score like she did. She's not the scorer that she was, but she also played on a different type of team, you know, right. with, with, with a, a much more balance spreading type of thing and she was a different type of player Skyler was pretty good too as a freshman from what I can remember and Enrique if I remember correctly was a really good scorer as a freshman as well but I could be remembering her freshman season and confusing with her sophomore season so let me let me go look real quick no yeah I'm, I'm confusing with her sophomore season she was a 15.9 as a sophomore she's only 11.4 as a freshman so I am I'm confusing those two seasons but of my lifetime, like, I don't remember what Ruth Riley was as a freshman. The first time I ever saw Ruth Riley play was her senior year when Notre Dame won the title. So I, I couldn't tell you that. And and there's some former players from back in the day that, I, that you know, but uh, as, as my life, like, since I've been following Notre Dame the last 20 years, she's got a chance. She's got to finish the year out, right? I mean, because at Notre Dame, you're gauged on winning in women's basketball, kind of like you're in football. And that's why that game the other night was so big. 
because this team has been kind of you know good but not as good as you'd hoped. I mean, they got smacked by South Carolina. They've lost two to Syracuse. You know, I mean, they've been good but just not like holy moly lights out good. You know, lost to North Carolina at home and. You know, you, you needed to see them kind of get that big win. And now you've got a road win over Tennessee and a road win over UConn. If you can build on that and, and make a deep run in the tournament, then sure, because that's ultimately what you're gauged on. But yeah, that girl is fun to watch, dude. And she is, I mean, she's fast. She can shoot. She's a much better shooter than Olivia Miles. That's like, they have a very similar game with the ball in their hands. Like, you know, attack the rim, score at the bucket, distribute. Olivia is not as to me as good of a defender as Hannah, and she's not nearly the score that Hannah is, in my opinion. And, and a big part of that's because Hannah can just shoot so effectively. I mean, she's a pretty good shooter as well. So she is she's outstanding. She's really good, really, really. I, good. I don't think I don't think anybody's shocked in the ch- in the chat that a person from New Jersey is a very good athlete. It's just crazy, <laughs> crazy that that happens. South Jersey as well. She's a she's yeah. from Haddonfield as well. Yeah. All the six. So, so. Somebody in the chat yeah. too said that Skyler had a better supporting surrounding cast. Uh, not so much on her freshman team. I, I I don't know that her freshman team was quite as good, but some of her her later teams were were, were obviously much better, but. The other thing too is is this team has never has not we have not seen the this vert like and we won't now that they announce Olivia Miles isn't playing this year but like Sonia Citron has been hurt and and she's now back but she's playing with a big old brace uh, Emma Rish is out so there's there's been some injuries on this team too we haven't really got a chance to see this team at its peak uh, which is going to be interesting but when you're a true freshman and you play the schedule that Notre Dame plays and you are scoring twenty four point four points per game you're five six. You're scoring 24.4 points per game. You're 6.6 rebounds per game. You're and you've got 5.6 assists per game, and you're averaging 5.1 steals per game, and only 3.7 turnovers. You're a pretty good basketball player. <laughs> you're yeah. pretty, sounds like you're pretty good. Like next year's team could be pretty dang good. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Well, and then next year. They get that girl from um, uh, Kovac, I think is her name. She's like, because the one thing missing from this team is a true post. Like a Jessica Shepard, Brianna Turner can do damage down low. Like Maddie Westbelt, Sean Davis, and I were talking about this. She's more of like a stretch four, but they need her to play bigger because they don't really have a lot of that. Kylie Watson's not really that kind of player. They don't have that true post presence. And hopefully the girl next year, because she's a top 10 player also. Like Hannah was a top five, top five player. And, she's uh, like I think six it's, foot, right? Yeah, she's like, like six that? foot. Yeah. Who? Kovac? She's like the, six. The girl four. coming in. Yeah, six yeah. four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and she's like a true, like she's like a true post player. Like you yeah. watch her highlights. She's, I mean, she's scoring at the rim. She can drive to the rim. I mean, she can, she can, you know, step out and pop one. But that's not what makes her a five star top five player. It's, it's right. her ability to play in the post and dominate in the post. And when you watch South Carolina play, and you watch Notre Dame, like early in the game, Notre Dame was hanging with them because the guards were able to go. But eventually the game slowed down. It became a half-court game, and the size just dominated Notre Dame, right? Yeah. And that's where they just don't have that presence right now. They don't have that that down-in-the-post presence that allows them to compete with those type of teams. And so – because, like, you need Maddie and Hannah to go off to beat UConn. If Maddie's right. not going off, then you're in trouble because that's the only real scoring presence you have down low. Nat Marshall's turned into a nice role player. She has. and if But if you had like a true post player and then Nat was kind of coming in as part of rotation, she'd be more effective as well. 
So that's going to be really the thing that they need is they, they've got to do a better job. They've got, she recruits guards as well as any team in the country. Coach Ivy does as well as any team in the country. She's got to do a better job of not relying on the portal every year to get the post where it needs to be. And that's why getting Kate Kovac next year is so huge. And, but she's got to keep, keep that rolling, you know, start. Cause remember that team that they had that won the title, right? I mean, they had legit guards and Enrique Agumba Wale, Jackie Young was the number one overall pick. You know, you had Marina. The what was the other Mabry? Was it was it Marina? Was that the other? The, all the Mabry names that get confused. But you also had two legit first round talent posts in Brianna Turner and Jessica Shepard. That's what yeah. made that team so good. Is you could beat them inside or out. This team is an outside driven team. I mean, what the biggest shot that Maddie Westbelt? The two biggest shots Maddie Westbelt hit in the game on the other day were, were triples, were three pointers, right? And and so they just they need a little bit more of that presence down low in my opinion. So we talk women's basketball. It's just a fun, fun conversation. Lots of good stuff. You guys are killing it today in the questions, man. I'm really enjoying the questions y'all are bringing to the table. We had Nicholas Grosh to everyone. If Freeman mirrors Jim Harbaugh's eight-year record at Michigan, meaning Notre Dame wins the national, the national. Was there supposed to be another part to that question? Let me go see if I can find it. Certainly feels like it's a cliffhanger there, but yeah, (laughs) it's like wants to keep us guessing. Uh, Let's see if there was another, part of that i don't see another part of that from nicholas is it more of like a would we be happy yes can he be happy if there's if there's a national championship at the end of the road i would be happy yes sure if it takes him eight years that's better than him taking no years i mean that's kind of the way that i would look at it nicholas Um, i hope that it doesn't take eight years i'd like to see one get there sooner but uh sure you can't be chooser baby yeah i'll take it Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.